the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, <coughs> Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Jesus had many women following him. It doesn't mean they were with him all the time, but again and again they were with him for a few days, for a few weeks, whatever. There were many women following Jesus. And the first one that Luke mentions in Luke 8, verse 2, is Mary Magdalene. Then um, she's also there in John 19. Uh, you've probably got that if you've got a Bible in front of you. Uh, John 19, verse 25, as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the mother of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So she's there. Also, chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loves, that's probably John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Now it's probable, if you look at the other Gospels, that Mary Magdalene wasn't on her own when she went to the tomb at the beginning of chapter 20. I mean, there's a clue to that in verse 20, in verse 2, sorry, what she says to Peter, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. I think there were other women there too, but John is particularly wanting to focus on Mary Magdalene because of what's about to come in the next bit of the chapter. Anyway, that's Mary Magdalene. She's at the tomb and she comes back then to the tomb and we're now in verse 11. Let's be open to the Holy Spirit as we look at this. And let's be lifting our hearts to him. Let's be talking to him. Let's be talking to God at the same time as we're looking at our Bibles. Can we do that? Can we talk into the Lord? Great, let's do it. Firstly, in verses 11 to 13, Mary weeps for Jesus. Mary weeps for Jesus. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. Mary's weeping for Jesus. I mean, she's weeping for herself too. This man who's done so much for her, he's set her free from evil spirits. He's forgiven her sins. She's seen him do amazing miracles. She's heard him do astonishing teaching. And now he's gone. She's lost him. And as far as she's thinking, she's lost him forever. She's weeping. And she doesn't even have his body. Because she gets to the tomb and there's nobody there. She saw two angels in white, verse 12. Whether she realized those were angels or not, I don't know. I suspect she didn't realize they were angels. But Mary's weeping for Jesus. Secondly, in verses 14 to 17, Mary experiences Jesus. Or Mary meets Jesus. I love this. Look at verse 14. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. 
I guess partly because she's not expecting to see Jesus. Partly because her eyes are full of tears. She doesn't realize it's Jesus. It's an extraordinary moment, isn't it? Here is Mary standing, looking at the risen Jesus. And she doesn't know that it's Jesus. She doesn't realize that he's there. He asked her, verse 15, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. That's a wonderful moment. That's the best moment of the passage for me. Mary. I mean, he might have said, he might have told her off and said, well, why didn't you believe it? You, you heard some predictions of my resurrection. Why didn't you believe all this? But he loves her. Mary. Isn't that great? Doesn't that move you? That he loves her. Just says her name. She's heard him say that name so often. And she recognizes immediately that this is Jesus. She's meeting him when she least expects it. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. That's very weird, isn't it? I mean, it looks as though she immediately wants to hug him. But Jesus says, don't hold on to me. It's an odd thing to say because... It's not that Jesus, after his resurrection, didn't want to be touched. Um, in Luke 24, the risen Jesus meets many of the disciples, and he invites them to touch him. That's Luke 24, 36 to 39, if you're writing it in your notes. If you're not writing it in your notes, it's still Luke 24, <laughs> 36 to 39. And look across the page, uh, look down the page, at 20, verse 27 of this chapter, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Put it into my side, touch me. You'll see I'm real. So why does he say to Mary, don't touch me? I think he's saying to Mary, from now on our relationship is going to be different. You're still going to experience my love. But it's not going to be the kind of relationship where you can hug me where you can touch me. And the clue that that's what's going on here is what Jesus, the reason Jesus gives. Verse 17, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's a clue. Jesus ascended to his Father. He was exalted. The risen Jesus went back to heaven to be with his Father, and then the Holy Spirit was sent. And the Holy Spirit couldn't come until Jesus had ascended and gone back to the Father. Let me read to you from John 7. John's Gospel, chapter 7. This is Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's standing up in the temple courts and surprising everybody with what, what, what he says. It's an extraordinary thing to shout out. John 7 is somewhere in my Bible. Here we go. John 7, verse 37. 
On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And the people may well not have understood that. And John, who wrote this, is thinking, we may not have understood this. So he explains it. Verse 39. By this, Jesus meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Jesus needs to be glorified. Jesus needs to ascend. Jesus needs to go back to the Father, and then the Spirit will be poured out. I'm going to read also from Ezekiel chapter 36. There are three main passages in the Old Testament which talk about what's going to happen when the new covenant comes. And it's the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated with his death. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Here is Ezekiel 36 from verse 25. This is God's promise of what he will one day do in the new covenant. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. This is forgiveness. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here it comes. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And that's why in the new covenant, whenever someone turns from their sins and puts their trust in Jesus, whether that person is Mary Magdalene or you, the Holy Spirit comes in. And he lives in us. And it's better that the Spirit is here than that Jesus physically is here. Uh, I've got to read you one more verse from John's Gospel. John 16. This is Jesus talking about the Spirit coming. Jesus says this. He's talking about the Spirit coming and he says, But very truly I tell you, this is John 16 verse 7. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But at the beginning of verse 7, he says, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. In other words, he's saying, it's better for you that I'm gone and that the Spirit is here. Why? It seems odd, doesn't it? But I, think it's a, I, I think it's actually a simple thing to understand. Imagine if Jesus had not ascended back to his father. The risen Jesus is still physically here on earth. He's a human being. He's also the, the, the eternal son of God. But he's a human being. He has a human body. He can only be in one place at a time. If Jesus had not gone back to glory, whenever you wanted fellowship with Jesus, you'd have to go to, I don't know, Jerusalem, Southampton, or wherever Jesus was. Very impractical. Very frustrating. So what's wonderful is Jesus goes back, Jesus ascends, Jesus is exalted, Jesus goes back to with his Father, the Spirit is poured out in fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, and the Spirit brings the presence of Jesus into every believer. 
So if you're a truster in Jesus, you can actually say, Jesus lives in me. He lives in me by his spirit. Whether you feel him or not, he's there. The spirit is there. And that is what Jesus is saying to Mary here in John 20. He's saying, our relationship is going to be different in future. It's not going to be a relationship where you can physically hug me. But I'm going to ascend to the Father and the Spirit is going to come and you're going to, the relationship is going to continue. Wow. But come back to that moment in verse 16 where Jesus says to her, Mary, it's love. I, I, I love this moment when he shows his love for Mary Magdalene. Some of us have real difficulty believing that God loves us because we feel we've messed up. We've made too many mistakes. But his love is definite. It's a given. Uh, when I was in Austria, I was talking to a student um, and she was, she's Christian, and she was telling me that she didn't think God could ever use her, which was extraordinary because three of her friends at her uni had become Christians, which by Austrian standards is major revival. <laughs> so I thought, well, I wonder what she thinks of. Well, what does she think about God? So I said to her, can I ask you a multiple choice question? And she looked about as interested as most of you do now. <laughs> and she said, yes, okay. And I said, I'll ask you the multiple choice question, and I'll give you some answers, and you choose the answer you think is the right answer. So she said, okay. So I said, when, when God thinks of you, what is his overwhelming reaction? When God thinks of you, what is his overwhelming reaction? Here are four answers. You choose which one is the right one. Frustration, irritation, joy, anger. And she smiled a little and she said, well, I know what you think I should say. <laughs> and I said, but you don't think you can agree with that? And she said, no. And we talked a little bit more. And then I suddenly thought, hang on, what did she think my answer would have been? So I said, hang on, what do you think my answer would have been? And she said, oh, frustration. And she couldn't say frustration because her answer was irritation. She thought whenever God thought of her, he was irritated. So if I'd said to her to spend more time in the Bible, spend more time praying, that wouldn't actually have helped her because she was convinced whenever she picked up a Bible, whenever she started praying, she was irritating God because she'd messed up too often. She'd made mistakes. She wasn't what she ought to be. The answer is always overwhelmingly joy because he loves us. When he thinks of you, his overwhelming reaction is joy because he loves you. I mean, I'm sure when he thinks of Andrew Page, there's frustration there sometimes, maybe quite a lot of the time. But the answer is always overwhelmingly joy. Do you believe that? That re God rejoices that you are his child because you trust in Jesus. Do you believe it? If you do, feel free to lift your heart to God now. 
and say thank you. This is the love of Jesus. We see it in him saying, Mary. And he says your name too. He loves you. He rejoices over you. Mary, she weeps for Jesus. She experiences Jesus. And thirdly, in verses 17 and 18, she obeys Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus says, Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He's talking about his ascension. He's going back to glory. It's very carefully worded, verse 17, isn't it? If he'd said, I'm going back to, to our Father and our God, it would make it seem as though his relationship with God was the same as the apostles' relationship with God. But Jesus is the eternal Son of God. So he says, I'm going back to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then verse 18, this is wonderful. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Um, the first person who saw the risen Jesus, the first person who saw the risen Jesus was a woman, Mary Magdalene. God chose her. Jesus chose her to be the first person to see the risen Jesus. The first person to get the, the job from Jesus to tell other people that he'd risen is a woman. It's Mary Magdalene. Jesus chose her for this. Wow, what an honor. What an amazing thing for Mary Magdalene. And she obeys Jesus. And he's calling us to tell the world, whether that's the whole world or the whole country or the whole of London or SE1. He's calling us to tell the world that Jesus is risen. Sometimes we feel distant from God, distant from Jesus. And sometimes we need to pray that we'll experience God where we're not expecting it, when we least expect it. It's what happens to Mary Magdalene here. It's wonderful. I'm really looking forward to meeting Mary Magdalene and talking to her about this. Wouldn't that be great? I don't know how this is organized in heaven with cues and that sort of thing, but it, we're, we're, it, we've got plenty of time, slash no time, so it'll be fine. There'll be, it'll be not a problem. I wish I hadn't said those last two sentences. <laughs> but I think we see clearly here, wonderfully here, that Jesus loves Mary Magdalene. The risen Jesus loves Mary Magdalene, and he loves us. At the end of the first talk, we had four descriptions of God. Do you remember them? Can you help me? He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. And he's the God who raises the dead. I want to finish with four, the four love sentences. Let me tell you the four love sentences. I'm going to have to tell you them twice because all, these always get me worshipping. This is true for you. Uh, if you're a Christian, this applies to you. If you're a truster in Jesus. The four love sentences, get ready. And if, they, if any of them appeals to you, 
lift your heart to Jesus and worship him. Number one, God will never love you less than he loves you today. Number two, God cannot love you more than he loves you today. Number three, God will never stop loving you. Number four, and this is my favorite, God never started loving you. Because he always has. Before he created anything, he knew your name. And he loved you. He never started loving you. Here are the four sentences again. Let's fill the place with worship. It is stunning. God will never love you less than he loves you today. God cannot love you more than he loves you today. God will never stop loving you. And God never started loving you. The resurrection of Jesus means loads and loads of things, but here are three. The resurrection of Jesus means we've got forgiveness. We're forgiven. Jesus said, almost the last thing he said on the cross is, it is finished. It's done. That's John 19, verse 30. He paid the price for our sins. We are forgiven. And the resurrection proves that. That he paid the price. We're forgiven. Secondly, we have hope. We have a fantastic hope. And the resurrection proves that. Uh, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we don't know exactly how things are going to work out, but when we see Jesus, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. One day I'm going to see Jesus and I will become the perfect Andrew Page. I will become the Andrew Page God originally planned Andrew Page to be. Don't worry, I will introduce myself to you in heaven. <laughs> I'll still be me, but I'll be the perfect me and you'll be the perfect you. Wow. Because you'll see Jesus and in that moment you'll be changed. So we have forgiveness, we have hope. And thirdly, what the resurrection means, we have Jesus. He's living in you now by his spirit. If you're not experiencing that, ask him to let you experience that more. Ask him. But he's here. And he loves you. With an everlasting love. Please keep John chapter 20 open and just spend a minute having a look. See if there's one thing that you've read or one thing you've heard from what I've said. Just think about what struck you. One particular thing you want to make sure you remember.
And now please turn to your neighbor and tell them what you just thought of. Two, one. Uh, that was very short, that opportunity. I hope we'll talk over lunch about it. Let me say a quick prayer, and then I think we're going to sing something. Father, thank you so much that Jesus is risen from the dead. We have forgiveness, we have hope, and we have Jesus living inside us by his spirit. We worship you. We pray that we may experience him more and more. And we thank you for your great love to us, shown to us at the cross of Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.